James Raff. Hey, going, mate. How you going? Doing well. Yeah. How about yourself? Uh, not too bad. Mm. Now you have worked in a co-working space before. I have. Yeah. I prefer the name Poly Working Space. Yeah, I can vibe with that. Mm. I did. Yeah. In fact, I worked at a, a WeWork for a number of months. Mm-hmm. My clearest memory of that is hearing a woman have a tremendous breakdown slash argument in one of the Zoom booths. Um, Zoom booths. I actually hadn't been in a Zoom booth ever until two weeks ago. For the first time, I was trying to, at this place that, you know, doing some work for, I booked a room and it turned out to be a frigging booth. Horrible, horrible, horrible thing that should never have yeah, they're pretty been bad. allowed to exist. They normally, um, they're never good because they always have like, there's something going on with them. Like either they're incredibly stuffy. Oh, they're insanely claustrophobic. Because they often have like a air conditioner kind of thing that's sucking the air out or cycling air it's in It's the closest it's that loud. we have to like the Matrix kind of pod thing, right? Like yeah, you could just sit in there in kind of a vat or whatever. Yeah, right? you literally feel like you're like visiting someone in a prison <laughs> and you've got like the phone on your ear and you, you know. That's and why that I, is the kind of place that you would have a mental breakdown. No, totally. Break. And like that's kind of, I mean, the entire thesis of co-working is that obviously on the one side you have businesses that are set up and that's fine. But as like a solo worker or like an mm. individual, remote worker, whatever it is, you're going to like make these phenomenal connections. Yeah. You're a founder. You know, you might be, here's a, here's a vision for you. Mm-hmm. You're a founder, right? Check. You you run a company that sells mm-hmm. cat food. Okay. <laughs> Just pull that one out of, out of the air. Go on. You might run into, in your we work or co-working space, someone who runs a cat shelter. Yep, Newtown Cat Protection Society. Exactly. Example. They might be operating out of we work. Mm-hmm. And then by chance, one day both of you are in the kitchen, you would be sort of at the kombucha tap. Yeah. And you go for it like, oh, and then they're, they're coming in from the right with their own, like those metal cups they have in WeWorks mm. to get some some booch. Yeah. And you're like, oh, sorry. Jokingly, you're like, what are you in for? You know, it's kind of like a gag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they say, oh. <laughs> cat protection. Yeah, I run, and I say, I run a cat. You go, are whoa, you cat go, nourishment. You go, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? That's like what the entire <laughs> co-working space thing. And in my experience, that absolutely never happened. And most people kind of like stick to themselves and nobody talks to each other. Mm-hmm. There's zero social aspect. Mm-hmm. Aside. Well, I showed up once at a, at a WeWork and there was the person at the front desk, this is one of the ones in the Sydney CBD, mm-hmm. uh, said, oh, it's, uh, it's pirate day today. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, hmm? And they were like, you know, it's like pirate day. People go, you know, we've been talking, you, you might have got the email. Maybe, I didn't look at it. Uh, everyone, you, know, you come in, you know, you dress like a pirate, you talk like a pirate. And I was like, oh, cool. But basically, I was dreading it as the elevator was going up. Oh. To the, cause I was like, <laughs> oh. You think you're going to walk in and everyone was going to be like, But thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, because the co-working thing doesn't really work. <laughs> you weren't like the kid who wore the school uniform on Mufti Day, like no, in reverse. Like, <laughs> there was nobody doing any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just like sole trader graphic designers like sending yeah, off invoices. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what it should be. So there you go. That's co-working.
I did some brief work many years ago, freelance, for a co-working space called Your Desk. I believe that they're not around no. anymore. Yep. I don't know. I don't know if they got through COVID. They were really good. You know, they had three locations. I worked very briefly on a campaign um, for them. But one interesting insight that they gave me was um, when I was like, you know, who are your customers? Is that and the other? There is a not insignificant percentage of customers, obviously, in the sole trader space who book a desk are people who've kind of been freelance kind of creatives and graphic designers and this kind of thing whose wife or girlfriend has gotten pregnant and are basically like, oh, fuck, I need to start taking things seriously. And it's like, what's number one thing on my checklist to start taking things seriously? I should book a desk at a co-working <laughs> space. Basically, it's just like, holy hell, I need to just stop See, if I'm taking three months to send an invoice and like vaguely doing work here and there, I need to get things, my life sorted, co-working space. See, I put myself in the perspective of like an investor mm. listening to the pitch and they tell me our like total addressable market <laughs> is guys who freak out when they learn their girlfriend is pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that that's a sustainable business. Well, we are obviously talking about a business that turns out, as I've said before, is a sustainable business, but turns out that at scale- It's a challenging one. We work. We work. It's not looking good, folks. No. We talked about we work as one of, in one of our very first episodes. Would have been the first 10. But we're specifically talking about Adam Newman, founder of WeWork. He He'd started a-, a company called Love, which presumably still exists. Oh, no, no. He didn't do Love. He was uh, Flow. Oh, so Flow, you're dead right. Love Flo. was different. Flow was the guy that did one of the checkouts. So we talked, about, we talked about it kind of briefly, but really we only touched on it a little bit because on the assumption that most people who listen, if you're into down round, you're probably at least like glancingly familiar with the whole WeWork thing. Mm. There's been a recent update mm. and not a positive one no. if you're a WeWork head. There hasn't been a lot of positive uh, news if you're a WeWork no. head. You know, the post, WeWork bulls. Post-2019, mm. if you're a big WeWork stand. <laughs> You, you haven't been eating good. There's one day. There's one good day for WeWork, mm. I would say. Which was that? When they went public virus back and for whatever reason the shares pumped 13%. Even that, that's a, it's a kind of a qualified dub. There's no, you know, they were, <laughs> and they were coming from a very low point of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The story in question is that uh, WeWork announced in August that they have serious doubts about their own capacity to, um, we're using the technical language that was used, uh, continue as a going concern. Mm, yes, uh, future viability. Future viability. Concerning. Minimal. <laughs> um, and that they may need to declare bankruptcy. Yeah, sorry, I'm not laughing because we love to see businesses flourish, obviously. Well, I'm laughing. <laughs> uh, I don't know about you, but I'm certainly laughing. Uh, the work debacle, we don't need to rehash old ground, for the, but for those who aren't fully aware, very quickly, we work... Adam Newman, who is obviously one of the kings of the Downround space and the Downround podcast, um, we stand- I believe we call him a certified pimp. <laughs> that was also- We got it right. That's once and, again vindicated. Yeah. Um, so Adam Newman founded WeWork. What's WeWork? Basically, the business model is they take out long-term leases on uh, a building. This is a tale as old as time. And they sublet it to anyone who wants it and you know create an epic environment where- Meeting rooms and stuff are booked using technology and like people are greeted by a receptionist 
There's beer on tap. Yeah, yeah, kombucha. They have v- like vibes are through the roof. Every Friday night, they've got an inspirational speaker, you know, to talk about how the customer is ready to acknowledge the stakeholder and climate. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's classic stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they are like the standout sort of business of like the another down round classic topic area, which is a zero interest rate yeah. environment. The vibes on WeWork were absolutely through the roof. They were about to go public at something like $47 billion valuation because Adam Newman, you know, he's the long-haired, crazy founder. And we were talking about this before, like in that era, in the low interest rate era, the one low interest rate or zero interest rate phenomenon was the crazy founder, which, you know, typified by yeah, Travis Kalanick at Uber. and uh, But Adam Newman was really the king of it. But so Adam Newman, we're talking just randomly rocking up at a WeWork and pouring tequila down like employees' throats and also being barefoot is legal. He's like a barefoot guy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. A no, butcher and, he wanted, and WeWork was going to be the biggest thing on the planet. There was a real model of like a super flamboyant founder. And I, I think those two guys are basically the encapsulation of that era. But it was also caught up in like Steve Ballmer doing like Microsoft presentations as well, where like you've got your CEO out on stage like yelling and like the employees are going like, whoa. Like every time the yeah. CEO speaks, it's like a rock show and like there's That's lights. And- Although it was, this was even like an evolution of that in that it was kind of like the mixture of classic tech founder plus like the f- boy persona. Yeah. Where it's like you're in- But plus new age. You've got to throw some new age a, in there. There was a bit of new age in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Travis Kalanick was definitely more on like intense yeah, frat, frat boy, boy side. Yeah. Whereas Adam Newman was the guy that, you know, he, he part of his pitch is he thought that like leasing, sub, like subletting office space was somehow going to lead to, like, the liberation of humanity. Well, his quote was, uh, WeWork was the first physical social network. Exactly. Like, this kind of gear. And, you know, WeWork was going to be education. They had we schools and revolutionised education and, and living. We're and, gonna, yeah, we're going to completely change, like, human social organisation yeah, via to- yeah. subletting office buildings. Yeah, total addressable market of the entire planet. Yeah, exactly. Because, like everyone um, lives somewhere and yep. works somewhere and that's all going to be us. Yeah. And, and, and he was also like a kooky guy with a thick Israeli accent. Yeah. Probably in thanks to those two guys, mm. they typified that model a bit, this really aggressive founder, mm. which was like a zero interest rate phenomenon in the sense that like both of those guys, Adam Newman and Travis Kalanick of Uber, pursued like growth at all costs. Yeah. The idea of like our job as a founder is to – run roughshod over, like, regulation where yeah. possible. We just need to push, get bigger and bigger yeah, we, and bigger. We're a trillion-dollar company. We're a trillion, and we're, we'll, we'll worry about the, the making money stuff later. Obviously, it's worked better for Uber than it has for WeWork in the yeah. sense that, you know, Uber, you know, and we can get very technical, but, like, on paper, they're kind of making money now. Mm. But also as a result of those guys, they helped, like, forge that era. Mm. They also led to its, like, collapse in that – Yes, you get guys kind of like that coming out of like the Silicon Valley startup scene and like the entrepreneurial world, but they tend to be a lot more subdued. When you think about like the big founders right now, Mm. your mind probably goes to someone like Sam Altman of OpenAI Mm. who has kind of reverted to, even though he has insanely bold ambition, like don't get me wrong. Like I mean, Elon is also like a... A typifier of this model, though. That's right? true. Like, that's true. Elon is one of the holdouts. He's one of those guys, loud, in your face. Yeah. He, he's like always posting. But he, again, he is still kind of like a bit of a successor to it. Whereas someone like a Sam Altman, who is like, don't get me wrong, he, he literally wants to build God. Yes. <laughs> and like, he wants to like. Oh, re- and look at his other, the other things he's into. It's all like weird human biology and like 
uh, one of the co-founders or at least a huge investor in Elon Musk's Neuralink and shit yeah. like that. Like, he, yeah, he's into some he wants know, to, stuff. He wants to, like, <laughs> literally change the fabric of humanity as it existed. But he's also kind of like a subdued, quiet yes. kind of like he's certainly, so, certainly not an outgoing type. But even though Sam Altman, Altman has those incredibly bold ambitions, mm. he doesn't quite rise to the level of what you're talking about this Travis Kalanick slash Adam Newman thing where it's like march into the office, mm. having raised X billion dollars or whatever, pour tequila down employees' throats. Yeah, yeah. You know, complete like wild Travis Kalanick, culture. Yeah, yeah. Travis Kalanick had a house in LA that he would invite like big thinkers over that was called the Jam Pad. The Jam Pad. <laughs> Hell Yeah. <laughs> It was also, um, this is, Real frat boy. Kind this of is vibe. not a Travis Klanick episode, but I saw someone else was posting. He was like, so I guess so like blasted on amphetamines. I don't know if this is actually true. So take this with a grain of salt. Allegedly. Allegedly. That he had like a figure eight pattern that he would walk all day in the office, like just thinking and talking, just <laughs> pounding this figure eight, like walking 40 kilometers a day. And if you wanted to have a meeting with him, you had to like, Join him on his join the eight on his join the eight yeah yeah infinity other people would say so that's Newman he convinced a lot of investors at a time of zero interest rates in particular SoftBank is the big one they were throwing money around huge investment into startups with a bunch of capital to begin with yeah um, he basically convinced a lot of people to bid the price of WeWork up to forty seven billion dollars yep. at its peak they went to go public as in the share market. If you want to go public, you need to release an S1, which basically outlines in detail exactly what your business does, what the financials are, et cetera, et cetera. As soon as everyone got a hold of this, they were like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like you yeah. have no revenue and everything is basically about like how everyone doing yoga in the morning will change the world into this newfangled thing, you know, yeah, yeah. as a tech company. But when at the end of the day, when you actually kind of look to the bottom line, you're like, okay, you're leasing office space and then subletting it out to well, yeah, those and, businesses. And this is a big thing. And like it, it's, it's old hat by this point, but like one of the great phenomena of the zero interest rate environment and like that whole culture at the time was like companies that were fundamentally not really tech companies. Yeah being able to sell themselves as like actually we're a tech company and then therefore get access to like tech level growth and multiples. And, and like this was beyond the pale even for peak. Peak yeah. hype. This was slightly before this was before SPAC boom. Yeah. So like this was beyond the pale even for that era. Adam Newman brilliantly got out of this with somewhere between two and four billion dollars. I think it started at four, but in the end it was kind of nego- negotiated down to about two billion dollars. You know, there was weird stuff about him having the rights to the word we that he had to sub-license back to WeWork and this, that, and the other. But basically, in order to remove him from WeWork and somehow salvage some value for from this company that never went public, they obviously pulled the IPO because it was like everyone was just like, absolutely not. Like, we are not touching this business. There is no business here. It's, yep. you know, a pile of fugazi. It's like yep. yoga babble. I think the term yoga babble was invented to describe WeWork. <laughs> But yeah, he got out of it. This is one thing I always think, and I think I mentioned this back on that episode, even if it's $2 billion, not $4 billion, in 200 years' time, there will be Newmans with huge fortunes, yeah, with no, like a power and influence. It, it's created generational wealth. Absolutely. That will like, echo through the ages. Like $2 billion, when you start running the numbers, you need to be spending a couple of hundred thousand dollars a day in order to spend less than just like the interest you get in like an high interest savings account. 
So yeah, Adam Newman's like children and grandchildren and great grandchildren and great 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 will be very wealthy and influential and powerful. Yeah, totally. All right? because they're an ancestor yeah. raised a bunch of cash on a lie and <laughs> then like was forced out and like had to get a payout. Yes, you hear about sort of like I guess obviously more an American phenomenon. Yes, in Australia you have generational wealth from mm. people going back forever. You know, it's obviously uh, as American as apple pie. But, you know, you'll hear about like some aristocratic family mm. or whatever. And it's like, oh, it's because my great, great, great grandfather was into textiles in the 19th yeah. century. He owned a few mills that spread out into something. And now, as a result, myself and my family have $600 million yeah, yeah. net or yeah. whatever. It's like my great grandfather, like, owned the patent for straws. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, those steamships that went up and down the Mississippi? You know, he built the chairs that went on those steamships. Whereas here it's like, well, this, well, my great-great-great-grandfather uh, sort of lied about office space <laughs> for like three years. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, again, getting back to the thing of like pitching something as tech that's not tech. Yes, like WeWork had a great tech layer, wonderful website, yeah. lovely booking experience, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, their job was... That sort of arbitrage between leasing something from a large developer or building owner uh, and then packaging it up into desks and mm. reselling it yeah. to comp- like startups and sole traders. That's not really tech at the end of the day. No. That's, that's the real estate business. And it's also a business that is extremely susceptible to interest rates because like obviously – as I said, the business model is like you rent out something on like a 99-year lease. In order to do that, you need to – raise a lot of debt financing, which you can project out over 99 years at zero. <laughs> if you're only paying 0.25% interest a year, maybe a pretty attractive business. But yeah, again, as soon as those percentages go up, obviously COVID hit and that like created all kinds of weirdness, but they didn't IPO until slightly after COVID. I guess we should kind of go through the timeline. 2021, they, they went public via SPAC. We've talked about SPACs before. It's a way to go public without basically doing the due diligence a vaguely complex structure that a lot of people benefit in, we, in the very short term. It's been on our list for ages. We should do a SPACs episode like looking back on the weird phenomenon. But for those who don't have any idea what a SPAC is, special purpose acquisition company, yeah. the idea is normally when you IPO, you're a private company, you're a startup, you've raised a bunch of capital, you've presumably built like a sustainable business, mm. fingers crossed, maybe not, who knows. Um, and then you will go You will go talk to Goldman Sachs. You'll go talk to someone. You'll go through the incredibly long process mm. of trying to get yourself listed on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ or whatever it may be. They will guide you through the process. There's lots of due diligence that's done. Yeah. You need to go through all sorts of regulatory hoops. Mm. Which is what we work originally. Which is, you know, an idea. Ideally, this is a good scenario because you want to prove that you're a strong business who can then sustain yeah. being in the public market. It's markets. something you really need to prepare for for a year. You need yeah. to make sure all of your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. Yeah. You've got like, you know, strong governance in place, strong financials in place, auditing, all and your risk and everything is covered. It's all good. Like, you, you've got senior, senior level bankers who are guiding you through this and making sure you're ready to go. Yeah, and yeah. your but books are open. You're an yeah, open book all of a sudden. Exactly. The SPAC asks the bold question, <laughs> what if you didn't have to do any of that? Yeah, basically, what, yeah. <laughs> what if what if all that bull crap you could spend? Yeah, and so a SPAC lists themselves, basically. I'm going to do a really quick version. So like, don't get up me, your investment bankers, whatever. A SPAC basically lists itself on the exchange and a SPAC being like, we're an investment company 
at, you know, our books are open in that we have whatever, $100 million of investment. That's it. Like, they, they go through that process or like an abridged one because yeah, they can do it. They're so simply. simple though. Like the business structure is so simple. It's quite easy to just like open your books when you're like, this is, we don't buy or sell anything. They then merge with a private company that's usually much bigger than them, which and then change their name to that private company's name, basically. So it allows that company to go public really quickly. And so, yeah, without the due diligence, basically. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, obviously, like quarterly earnings, they then have to open their books and show everyone what the business looks like. Um, but that is what WeWork did in 2021 yep. at around a 9.7 or to $10 billion valuation. All these numbers are US dollars, by the way, um, for anyone in Singapore or whatever who's listening. 47 billion USD. It was around 10 billion. USD that they went public for on the SPAC. As I said, pumped 13% on the day. Looks good. But we're now, what, 18 months later-ish, uh, they're down to around 200 million and saying we maybe zero. We, yeah, we, we can't. Yeah, exactly. We don't have enough money to continue. They're burning something that an absurd nine figures or something per month mm. or whatever. They are burning through so much money. Yeah. So like- to give you a bit of perspective, there was a point where like WeWork was the largest leaser of office space in New York, mm. the largest leases of like individual leaser of office space in London, but, and you know New York and London, the two undisputably the two most kind of like quote unquote important cities economically in the yeah. world, financial capitals, financial capitals, and WeWork was absolutely dominating. Expensive them. rent, known expensive rent, totally. So just to give you a sense of the scale there. But that, but that is the issue, right, at the end yeah. of the day for WeWork is like this is a business, as we've said, buying up like, or leasing, taking long-term leases, splitting it up and subleasing is a viable business and it's a good business. People want it. People want smaller office spaces without and, yeah, and, and large build, buildings don't want to be doing it. There is an arbitrage there. There is a business to be made. But their issue obviously is that, they have so much of the most expensive real estate on these huge long-term deals that last forever that they have to justify and account for and debt finance basically in order to like provide it. Totally. That is the non-sustainable part. Yeah. Like yeah, and like, it's not a business that what needs that needs to scale quickly. It's a business that probably should scale organically. Exactly. And then it it also they were pitching the idea pre-covid, mm. you know, because that was when they were hitting their absolute Hype peak, and yes, they got smoked by the long sort of lockdown periods where people could, couldn't go to these co-working spaces for a long, prolonged period of time. Mm. And obviously, the one of the big sells of WeWork is that uh, you know your business could, uh, you know, if you're a startup or if you're whatever, you could um, lease like a, a chunk of one of these uh, WeWorks. Yeah. But also, the other side of it was like you could get like the WeWork all access as an individual. You're a sole trader. Mm. You're like an individual person. You pay X amount and you can go work from every WeWork in the world. Yeah. And this like is like a membership card. This is what I had for like a period of time. Mm. And it was nice because, you know, I, I would work out of the one in the Sydney CBD, but then, you know, I would go and uh, I, I worked out of the one, a couple of ones that were in Boston and a couple of other ones in the US while I was over there. Mm. And, you know, it's it's great. It's not- But again, imagine like that framing though all of a sudden, right? Yeah. This is like a membership to the world. So exactly. I like most like real estate businesses that are buying up um, office buildings and cutting them up and subleasing them are not dealing with exactly the problem of, oh, actually a chunk 
and certainly one of the most public parts of our business, if you ask the average person, what does WeWork do? Mm. The picture in their mind would be that. Mm. These sole traders who can sort of swan around the world and go work from sort of like an identical experience, mm. relatively identical. We never got like the beers on tap in Australia, I don't think, mm. or at least at a much reduced level, wherever you are. It's, mm. the, it's this true bloody like global cosmopolitan sort of like yeah. business. But then the reality is when you look at their financials, actually like the majority of their revenue is coming from businesses that have like 100 to 150 employees. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of benefits for them because they're like, we want to increase headcount by 30 people. You just hire out a few more places and we work the we work that you're in kind of slightly restructures and moves people around it's that's very handy like that's great as a business to be yep. able to just expand that freely as opposed to like finding new rent in a new place and every time you grow a headcount having to do that but like the reality is what turns out is the most sustainable market and where most of their revenue comes from is like that like kind of 30 to 200 person organizations or organizations that are big multinationals that you know have a bunch of outposts around the world and like that's where they're getting their revenue in, which is slightly less sexy. It's still a business, but like this idea, it's like, oh yeah, we we lease out office space to other businesses. Yep. And this was kind of the thing they did after all the Adam Newman ugliness sort of happened mm. and like the failed IPO and blah, 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 COVID, et cetera. So they hired, uh, I brought in a new CEO whose name was Sandeep Mathrani, mm. Um, who came from like the property world. Yeah, yeah. For, like, were, the board was basically just like, we need to try and salvage some value here. Yeah. And, so, and apparently he's like a relatively- He's, he's a very respected guy. And, and, you know, he came in with the remit of like, I'm going to run this like a real estate and property company. Mm. I'm not going to run it like a hyper-growth tech startup. Look, as far if I'm an investor and, you know, maybe I have a representation on the board or at least I can kind of pressure the board to like make decisions like this and you get him in and after that, insanity that happened before i basically get out of it by able to, by being able to sell my shares at 10 billion that's a win that's a w for them obviously now given that 18 months later it's basically worth zero yeah, yeah. Like, as or, in it's dumping it on way. dumping on retail obviously like it's dog <laughs> but like yeah he did what i'm sure the investors would, would have been relatively happy to have seen happen yeah yeah and that was his sort of goal and there was like stories over the like past couple of years where it was sort of like there was some potential success or at least hopeful things that looked like they were happening. Mm. He was trying to renegotiate a lot of their absurd deals that they mm. had struck with some of these like incredibly prime real estate locations. Even though he was only meant to be like an interim CEO, essentially, he did eventually leave and move to another company, which was like a hit to morale. They've got another guy that's in there right now that's running kind of like another interim CEO role. Mm. But yeah, it just turns out the business as it was constructed with like the deals that it had, the places that it was in. You know, even look at WeWork in Sydney. They've got like six, I'm pretty sure, co-working spaces, all of them in the CBD, all in very, very desirable locations. Mm. You extrapolate that out to some of the, again, some of them, I mean, Sydney is one of the most expensive real estate locations in the world, but yes. like even more of them essentially. Yeah. And it's like, I don't understand how that could ever have been salvaged yeah. in its current form. Yeah, yeah. It seems that it hasn't been. Yeah, tough business. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, well, a tough business, low margin business. Um, exactly. Not a huge, like a business that is very hard to to get like a multiple of, as in like, how do you value a company like that? If you're like an investor or whatever, like it's got to be a multiple of earnings, like what profit they're making. Yeah, yeah. It's and such a low margin business. It's just the valuation is just not there. No, and I, I think, you know, the thing that kind of elevated this above and beyond 
and this you, this is the same for all of the sort of like co-working universe, which I'm not saying is necessarily a bad business um, fundamentally or anything. But, you know, a lot of the, the co-working thing was like, we're not just allocating real estate space and subleasing it and whatever. We also have like that extra layer of experience, mm. the innate sort of networking that comes with working in the, a kind of cool space with yeah. a bunch of other cool young startups, yeah. you know, as we said at the beginning, you've got your cat food business and your cat shelter business all operating out of yeah. the same well, building. And my kids get to go to this revolutionary new school. Like they opened schools yeah. that people paid, very expensive schools that people paid to send their kids to that, you know, had a full Montessori-esque, like adjacent, but yeah. like for high school, unstructured, new way to do education kind of environment. Totally. And, like, and all that stuff was like... Yeah, I'm sure it's nice in some, and it's completely contingent on location. As I said, I went to a bunch of the the Sydney uh, WeWorks, and they didn't really necessarily strike me as like complete fountains of networking and connectivity between different businesses. Yeah, I was having a chat with a, an architect who worked for WeWork um, for a couple of years, and he was like, "Yeah, my job is basically just I'm given a blueprint, and I need to just split it into as many possible working spaces as possible." Yeah, like. You know, because that that's how they make money. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you got to balance that with also like, no, this is a revolutionary way to live and work. Exactly. And it's like the spaces were nice. Yeah. Like, I, I, as I said, like the features are good, and that is great that you can anywhere in the world you can log in, and it's got a nice interface for like meeting bookings and that kind of thing. Like it, it was nice. It's a nice experience. It's very handy if you want to scale up, scale down. You know, that's great. Yeah. But it's just not a. $50 billion business. No, totally. Um, and we should also mention the fact that the bounce back from remote work into like hybrid work has been pro- was probably slower than WeWork would have wanted. Yeah. Because, um, did- yeah, there was that bullish idea for WeWork, especially when it had the new CEO, that it's like maybe the future is all of these businesses like multinational selling or getting out of their like leasing deals in – Singapore and Hong Kong and London and and Paris or whatever and moving into more of a WeWork situation. Yeah, they thought that, like, there was going to be mass downsizing of office space and they would be the guys sitting there ready to say, hey, you don't actually need Mm. to own six floors of this building in downtown Sydney. Mm. You can just, like, take out a small amount and then have your staff sort of cycle in and out as need be, Mm. hot desk, whatever. I don't think, like, that's not really what has happened. And, like, I don't think there's been enough, like, there's been, like, a systemic downsizing of office space. Yes, obviously, commercial real estate is is struggling in a lot of ways, but it hasn't Uh, translated into that. I think, if anything, it's made working from home way more acceptable. As I said, if, in the case of your desk, one of their insights was that it was people being like, oh, I need to take this seriously, I'll start renting out a desk. Like, I feel like that's gone. Like, working from home is totally fine. Yeah, if you, like, it's not. It's not. A, it's not more professional to go and rent out a desk. No, you're, like you're either at like the full fledged office or yeah, exactly There's where no, you can control where all of that stuff that WeWork provides. You actually want to kind of control as a business because that's all like culture and oversight and differentiation and team and whatever. You don't want it to be like the same generic experience. It doesn't matter if you're at Reddit or TikTok. You get the same like vibe. You want to own the office thing that you've just downsized. And if people aren't in the office, it's perfectly acceptable for the CEO to be joining a meeting from home. Plus the fact there hasn't been as much of like a radical shakeup of how the office actually functions mm. beyond the work from home aspect. So it's just like they were just really poorly placed 
there was no major shift that really benefited them. No. And all they were left was with was kind of like carrying the bag of this giant global leasing empire. Yeah. Which was like incredibly hard to turn into something that was like specifically sustainable as like a we like the, like why did we work in its current form even need to exist with that mm. sort of thing? Obviously not. And as a result, they're now staring down the barrel of basically insolvency. Yeah. Well, it's another thing with these businesses, right? Like, as we said, I just said, like, if you're a business that is renting off WeWork, the experience is great because you get all of these benefits. Well, like, it turns out that's really expensive to provide. And yep. so either the prices need to be way higher or the business doesn't work. Yep. Or I know this is tough. It's a tough call to mm-hmm. ask of, of WeWork. But if I was putting in there as a liquidator mm-hmm. or to, like, run bankruptcy or – to forestall bankruptcy, mm-hmm. I'd say no more talk like a pirate day. <laughs> Just get rid of it. The Hino administrator, yep. number one. The people at the front desk shouldn't even bring it up. <laughs> Just don't. Even don't, if it's on everyone's mind. You know, even, even if someone asks, you know, is, it, is it talk like a pirate day? Today? If someone kind of walks in and goes, ar. Yeah, you go, Psh, sh, shut the fuck up. And you cancel their badge. That's how we save where we work. Downround now has a Substack where we are running our premium podcast, a second episode every week, plus plenty more goodies to come in the future. Mm-hmm. So head to downround.net to sign up.